If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn and uh, we're actually going to, basically one verse is going to be the focus of our, uh, of our sermon today, but also if you don't have a Bible, uh, I encourage you two things. One, if you don't have one, when you leave, go by uh, Guest Relations, Welcome Desk, whatever we call it, place back there, and uh, you can pick up a free Bible. We have them for you as well if you like one. Uh, also in the outline today, there's uh, some verses that we're using. I'm using one verse as a key and then some other verses we'll talk about as well. We'll be looking at, in, uh, in the New Testament, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to be looking at that. The other day, just a couple of days ago, I was down at uh, Thornton's down here getting some gas. And as I went in and paid for my gas, uh, there was only one person attended there during that time when I was getting ready to pay for my gas. And there was like four people in line, but they were all over to one side over here. And I was trying to figure out what in the world were they doing because they were taking forever. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm in a hurry because everything I do is hugely important, more important than anybody else. And so uh, I had to, you know, get through there. But this, I come to find out what they were doing is they were all buying lottery tickets. You know, and it was taking forever to get lottery tickets. You know, sometimes when there's like these huge lotteries, people lose their minds. Have you ever seen that? Two years ago around Easter, there was the largest lottery in the history of the United States. Uh, I don't know what it's called. You know, I don't have a clue. But anyway, it was one of these huge lotteries. And the lottery jackpot then, I looked it up, the lottery jackpot, the largest lottery in the United States history so far, and this is just so far, was $656 million. And I'm going... Wow, man, that's a lot of money, $656 million. And so, you know, there's been actually the top four lotteries have all been over $500 million, over half a billion dollars for each one of those lotteries. And I'm going like, no wonder people lose their mind. So let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you people that are here know somebody? That purchased a lottery ticket somewhere, you know, no, you don't have to know somebody, okay, nobody even wants to say they know somebody, okay, you're in church, this is Easter, you can't lie, okay, so that's the deal, you know, you know somebody, okay, and it may have been you who, who did that, you know, I, it was fun, uh, it was fun, you know, I'd pray for you if, if you'd bought one, but anyway, um, uh, it was fun thinking about that kind of money, you know, and you're going like, well, you know, if you win the lottery, it's 656 men, you don't get it all, you might lose, you know, you might get a... I don't care if I got half of it, you know, I mean, it's still a lot of money. And you, so you, have, you ever thought about winning that much money one time? What would you, you do with the money, you know? I mean, if you had $656 million, I mean, uh, one of the things, you know, I thought I'd do is pay off debt. The only debt I had was the house, but, you know, I'd pay off debt, $656 million, million you go like, that should cover it for most of you, right? Hopefully. If it's not, you must work for the Illinois government. So, uh <clears throat> No comment there. Okay. Um, some other things I've thought about. You know, if I had a whole bunch of money like that all of a sudden, you know, I, I just had to be, you know, not practical sometimes, you know, and I'm thinking about one of the things I love to do is get a new car. You know, I drive a, 19, a 2006 Ford Taurus, not because it's such a cool car, because it was cheap. And also it has good leg room, and I, I'm tall, and so I need leg room, and so that was the reason I have that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd really, I wouldn't buy a sports car because I need something, I'd be like a big giant long Beamer or something like that, you know, one of those ones that have lots of room, I wouldn't worry about gas mileage, you know, anything like that, I'd do something, you know, you probably think, you know, years ago it would probably been a, you know, a Ford Shelby GT, but that was a long time ago, back in another life, and I would have done that probably, you might have, did, you might have bought some new clothes, you might have bought a new house, you know, who, who knows what you would do, some of you may have gone to a plastic surgeon and bought a new you. And uh, with that kind of money, you could do that, right? You probably could do that kind of thing. Um, 
And I thought about if we had that kind of money as a church, you know, what we do, we'd pay off our debt, we could finance a, a building, planting churches as part of our dream is planting five churches over the next five years. And, and the thing is, is we could plant churches in every state in the United States with that kind of money. Uh, because it only costs like one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars to plant a church, and so uh, uh, that would be incredible. Now, when I say that, the same thing that the reason that we think like that and we have this dream sometimes is that we have something, these, this debt or these things in our past that we wish we could get rid of, and we wish we'd have a secure future. That's why we think that money would do that for us. And 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 when we think that way financially, I think we also want the same thing spiritually. We want the same thing spiritually because. All of us have something in our past somewhere along the way that we wish we could have a redo on, a do-over on, something that we wish we didn't do, something we wish we had have done. And and we want to know we have a secure future in regards to our relationship with God, a secure future, uh, and and that's really important to us. So no no matter who you are this morning here, if you're the most religious person here, I mean, you've been at church not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday this year, and every Sunday for the last 20 years, and you go to Bible studies three times a week, and you do all these different things, if you're that kind of a religious person, or you're the other end of the spectrum, I mean, this morning, you thought somebody told you they were going to take you out for coffee, and you thought it was going to be Starbucks, and it ended up in the lobby of Great Oaks Community Church, and, and you're going like, how did I get here? You know, maybe that's your, the other end of the spectrum this morning. The thing is, um, you really don't want to be here, but uh, you're here anyway. And so if you're in both extremes this morning, this is what I know. Every one of us has something in our past, no matter how religious or irreligious we are, that that we're not particularly proud of. Because the Bible says clearly, and we all know, that none of us are perfect and all of us are sinners and we have issues in our life sometimes that we're not particularly proud of. It may be guilt. We talked, the last several weeks we did a series called Enemies of the Heart, and we talked about all these things that that get clogged in our heart, our anger and, and guilt and and, and jealousy and, and, and greed and all these different things that get there and we wish we didn't have them there. And all of us have decisions in our past that we sometimes doubt and we ask ourselves the question, you know, well, you know, we have choice A and B and we made choice A and we want, always wonder if I'd have made choice B, would it be something different? My life would have been different. And all of us are caught in these situations where we look at the future, look at our future, and we are so caught up with our past that we allow our past to define our future. Because I did this one time in the past, this is what's going to happen in the future. And so we get get caught up in this kind of cycle. And so no matter what spectrum you're in, where you are, uh, you want a future filled with hope and peace in your life. Now, the good news this morning that I want to share with you from God's Word, the good news is this, and the Apostle Paul says this, that your future could could be great, regardless of your past. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, this is what it says. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he's saying the old is past, and the new can come. It doesn't have to, your, your future does not have to be based upon what you did in your past for those who are in Christ. Now, I want you to do something this morning in that verse where the word it says anyone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I want you to substitute in your mind your name. For instance, for me, it'd be, therefore, if Bill is in Christ. And I'm looking around to see I can choose. No, I'm not going to do that this morning. No, but put your name in that blank. If, if, If that person is in Christ, he says, if you are in Christ with your name there, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. 
And that's usually important for us because Jesus, he died not to make you weird. Like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. Some of you ever watched that, you know who I'm talking about. You know, just this really strange, religious, kind of weird guy. You know, God, God didn't die on a cross. Jesus didn't die on a cross to make you weird. He died on a cross and he rose from the dead to make us new. He, made, he died to make us new. And so today I want to look at this and I want to spend some time talking about what, how we can approach this truth, this truth that God has, has died to make us new. The old, the old is gone, the new is, new is here. And, and there's ways that we approach life. There's three ways that we approach life. Two that's, that's not helpful and one that's the, the only way that we can do this today that's important for us to understand this. The first way that we can approach life in regards to the approach to this reality that, that, that Paul says in 2 Corinthians is this. We can... We, number one, if you have your outline and you'd like to take notes, you can fill in the blanks there. This is the first blank. It, it, we need to face up to some facts. Sometimes we just need to face up to some facts. And when we face up to some facts, we're con- you know, I'm constantly learning something. That everything that I put into my body affects me some way. You ever figure that out? You know, I have a niece who is, uh, now he's a teenager and uh, she's, uh, but remember many, many years ago, I found out something. We, we were around her and found out she all of a sudden went into an anaphylactic shock and I found out she was allergic to peanuts. Hard way. <laughs> she survived and she has a teenager now, but she's super allergic to stuff. So we, when we go visit her, we kind of make sure that nothing we have, we've not touched anything, we've not been around anything. You know, it's just this kind of thing. Some people are allergic like the way to shellfish, right? Some people have that kind of reaction. There's all kinds of reactions that people have. I mean, how many of you here love coffee? You must. You drank a lot of it out there this morning, and our people were scrambling to keep it up, okay? You like coffee. You know, I think coffee, I love coffee, man. I've always loved coffee. I love to go to coffee shops, the smell of coffee. You know, I think Juan Valdez will be in, in heaven, you know, uh, serving coffee to everybody, uh, you know, we have all this, this, this kind of thing, but coffee, I found out years ago, when I first started drinking coffee, I was like 19 years old, I'd have been out of high school for a year, I was working at General Electric in Virginia there for a year, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life, so I was working second shift at General Electric in the factory uh, in, on a machine, and guess what they had there in free abundance? Coffee. I learned to drink coffee. Every shift, I would drink seven and eight cups of coffee. Every shift. I learned something. Coffee affects you. I could never figure out for a long time why I could never go to sleep when I got home at midnight. Didn't know, you know, the whole, uh, you know, it's not real bright. But anyway, you know, learned later on. But the thing is, is that there, everything has side effects. Now, the same thing, <clears throat> excuse me, the same thing is true about sin. The same thing is true about sin. Now, this morning, I know some of your guests here, and, and, and you don't know how we do church here, so I'm just getting ready to tell you something you probably have never heard from a preacher before. Maybe several things today you've never heard from a preacher before. This is the first one. Let me let, let you in on a little secret about sin. Sin is fun. Really. Really, sin is fun. Um... It bothers me when I hear, years ago, I mean, old-time preachers, I don't know if they have them in this area, but when I grew up, the old-time preachers, and they'd go, and they'd point their finger, and they go, you know, they do this thing, you ever seen one of them do that before, you know? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, 
I don't know why you point your finger like that. Is it nervous twitch or something? I don't know what the deal is. It was just something they did. A lot of old-time preachers used to do stuff like that. They have quavery voices. And they never talked that way really in real person, but just the way they were. And they'd say stuff like, you know, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, sin is not fun. And when I heard that, I'm going like, yeah, it is. They must not be doing it right. See, the reality is, if sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't have any problem with it, would we? We wouldn't have to tell you, don't do it, or tell ourselves, don't do certain things. But the Bible tells us that sin is only fun for a season. It's only fun for a season. And the thing we need to understand about sin is that while the fun is going on, it always comes with consequences, it always comes with consequences. And you could be here and say, well, this morning, Pastor, I just showed up. I'm one of the people that came to drink coffee. And, you know, I'm living in sin, and I don't have any consequences. All I can say is just wait. Just wait. There will be consequences because sin always has consequences. It always comes with consequences. And one of the consequences that I see so often in people's lives, and I've, I've been in ministry now for 35 years, and over the 35 years of ministry, talking to people over and over and over again, the thing that I've begun to understand is this, is that one of the devastating consequences of sin in our past is this, is that when we look back in the past, we allow what we did to define us in the present and, and affect our future as well. And there's all kinds of sins that people deal with in their past when they look in the mirror in their life, the, the reflection of their life. And, and, and there's different sins that people, and I begin to think about some of the ones that people have talked to me over a period of time. One sin that many people have a problem with is this sin. Sexual sin. I cannot tell you how many people come to me and say, Pastor, you know, this is, this is I, just, I, I had this liaison with someone many, many years ago. And it still affects me, and, 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 and they can't get over that. It's something from the past that's the sexual sin that has this powerful emotional bond in their life, and they can't get, get past it as well. Another, another area of, of life where sometimes people have problems with sin that they come and talk to me about is this. Addictions. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people come and say, Pastor, I've... In my past, or even currently, I'm struggling with this addiction to, to, to alcohol or to drugs. Or, or the, one of the biggest addictions now, the rising addictions, is it's prescription drugs. One of the, by far the biggest ones. Or pornography, or all these different things. We have these addictions in our life. And because this has been something even in the past, and I'm dealing with it now, but it's still there, and I can't get over it. Because every time I look in the mirror it, and I see myself, what I'm seeing is that. I'm seeing that thing. Another thing that so often we have in our life as well, we talked about this in the last series, is this, this whole thing of people who are, who are bitter. They're bitter. Somebody did something to them in the past. And so what happens is, is because somebody did something to them in the past, they, they have this anger in their life. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They have this anger in their life, and all they can be is bitter. And, and they see, every time they look in the mirror, they don't see themselves, but they see that what happened to them. And that lacks them, in a real sense, they kind of, their life is defined by that thing in the past that they had. But many people even have, have this, and this is kind of interesting, and we're always praying for this and used to be in prayer meetings. We call this... Uh, Secret sin, somebody, something that nobody else really knows about, but it's there. 
Maybe not even our spouse knows about it. And so the problem is, is that we go through life, and every time we look in our mirror and we see ourselves, what we do is we see that secret sin. It's not secret to us. It's secret to everybody else, but not, but not to us. And so we, we deal with that, and that's how we define who we are. And then if you have none of these, you're going like, you know, I'm fine. I have no problem whatsoever. Let me name your sin. Pride. Yeah, if you think you have no problem in your past whatsoever, no dealings, you're just a perfect person. Your issue is pride. You just, that's dangerous sin, okay? And so every time you look in the mirror, you're going like, look at me, aren't I great? And you're just, just fooling yourself. Because the Bible says that that's not true in, in our life. See, the thing is, is when we look at these things in the mirror, what we do is, and we see ourselves in the mirror, we go, that is what I did, so that is who I am. Do we not do that constantly? That is what I did, so that's, this is who I am. See, one of the biggest temptations is to stand in the present, look into the past, and allow the past to define our future. But, you know, once again, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The old has gone. And the new is here. See, one of the greatest things about knowing Jesus Christ is that your history does not determine your identity, nor does it set your destiny. Because if you're in Christ, your identity, the Bible says, and just that one verse, it says your identity is in him and not in your past. Your sin is paid for if you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, that might have been what you did, but it's not who you are. And if you're not in Christ this morning and you're here and just kind of check it out, let me tell you the good news. Before you leave here today, that could be behind you as well because you can be in Christ. And I'll share with you how to do that at the end of the message today. See, I tell people all the time this. I'm not the man I need to be, but I'm definitely not the man I used to be. Because of who Christ is and what he's done for me. So the first thing we do is we need to face up to who we are. And when we put our face and we look in the mirror, so often we just see this. The second thing we need to do, though, in our life, and sometimes we do, is we try to clean it up ourselves. We try to clean up stuff. You know, I don't know how many... I was reoriented re with potty training recently, you know. Uh, I, you know, I have, you know, going like, yeah, you're kind of old for doing potty... Well, I have, you know, I do have a daughter and, and son, and, but now we have grandkids, and a, a couple of years ago, we went through the, uh, they were going through potty training, and we kept our grandkids every, uh, every Friday, all day, and, and mostly my wife kept them. I kind of stood there and helped whenever I could, but, uh, you know, uh, she was the one that did most of the doing that, and so we were helping them with the potty training, and you do all kind of weird things. You ever thought about all the weird things you do when you potty train? Oh, honey, you did that. I mean, what if you did that to your boss tomorrow? I mean, you clap, and they come out of the bathroom. That would be weird, right? That would be really weird. Or, the, you know, or, or, or sink the Cheerio, sink the Cheerio. I mean, you know, I, if, you, if you, some of you that have never been through potty training don't have a clue what I'm talking about right now. Go look it up on the Internet. You can find anything. 
some stuff you don't want to find. But the reality is, is all, we do all these weird things, right, when, when kids are going through potty training. But I mean, a couple of years ago, I remember this. Cooper, my, the oldest of the two grandkids, Cooper is five now and Levi's three. Cooper was going through the potty training thing, and he was getting pretty good at it, you know. And one day, my wife did the hor- most horrible thing. She left me alone with the kids. And uh, I can't remember exactly the timing of this whole thing, but she had to go somewhere, a doctor's appointment to do something. And so Cooper was kind of at the place in his potty training adventures in our bathroom. We had a little potty seat in there and the whole deal going on. And Cooper was, you know, going to the place where he, did, he wanted to kind of do it himself, you know. Grandpa, I can do it myself. And so we go in there, and, and then and usually I'd leave the door open so I could kind of like see. He says, close the door, pull the door shut. And I didn't pull it all the way shut, it partially shut. And so, you know, I went in the other room, and I was playing with Levi and, doing my thing with him, and, and I didn't think about it. He was in there for a while. He's a guy, you know, and guys can go in the bathroom and stay for days, you know, but the issue is, the issue is he's in there for a while, and, you know, and I, I had taken a book. I taught him how to do that, you know. If you're a real man, you take a book to the bathroom, or at least, you know, Sports Illustrated or something, you know, and, and you do all these things, and, and so the thing was, is uh, the thing was, he was in there for a while, and, and after a while, I went, Cooper, are you all right? You all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine, Grandpa. And then after a little while longer, I said, you finished? He said, yeah. I said, open the door. And I opened the door. And here stands Cooper. It was warm weather. He has shorts on, you know, his T-shirt and everything. And Cooper goes, Grandpa, look, I cleaned myself. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what had happened in that bathroom. I don't really want to know how he got it. But Cooper had stuff all over him. I mean, he was nasty. I mean, I almost threw up, you know, and I have a strong stomach and it smelled so bad. It was horrible. I don't know what had happened, but he thought he, but Cooper thought he had cleaned himself up and he was so proud. He was smiling, you know, with this big smile. Look at me, grandpa, I'm all clean. And my first response was, where's my wife? And, you know, and, and so my deal is I go over and try to touch an area that doesn't have anything on it, and then I pick him up and sit him in the bathtub and turn on the shower and just hose him down, you know. But Cooper was so excited, he thought, I'm clean, Grandpa. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but where you come from originally, for most of you are Midwesterners, but I used to think this was just a southeastern United States thing, but now I found out it's Midwesterners too. If you talk to people in the southeast particularly, but you talk in the Midwest, it's not much difference. You know what most people will tell you? They said, I'm a Christian. Most people will tell you that. You know why they tell you they're a Christian? Because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. That's why they say they're a Christian. But you know what it says in Isaiah 64, 6? This is what God says. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And let me tell you something about the Hebrew there. All of us means all of us. Okay? Direct translation. All of us become like one who is unclean. It means what? All of us are sinners. And we need to know that. So I thought this morning just to keep you awake and everything. What I want you to do right now is turn to the person next to you and tell them, you are a sinner. Okay, just go ahead and do it right now. Just turn to them and say, you're a sinner. Okay, you're having way too much fun with this. Now, turn to that same person you talked to and say, and so am I. Boy, that was quick. I mean, 
don't we like, isn't it, uh, uh, don't we like to uh, point out other people's sin? You know, isn't that great? Oh, yeah, you know. Um, and we still do it like this. I've heard people do it. We, we become professional at pointing out other people's sin. We'll say things like, well, now, you know, I'm not perfect. And nobody thinks you are. But did you hear about Thelma or something? You know, I don't know. That's a good southern name. You know, you know that's what we do. You know, we just like to point out other people's sin by gossiping about them. But, you know, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6 says a little bit further, he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And then it goes further and it says, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You would expect it to say all of our unrighteous acts are like filthy rags, right? That's what you would expect it to say, but that's not what it says. It says all of our righteous acts are, I mean, we would all agree that all this stuff is bad, right? But it says all of our righteous acts are filthy rags. And the Bible says, it says that clearly. Now, that means this. That means this. That we can get up in the morning. This, this, is, this is hard for us to take, I know. This is, this is really going to be the hardest part of the message for you right here. That means that we can get up in the morning. We can spend an hour reading our Bible. We can recite the Lord's Prayer. We can put on our Christian t-shirt because it has some kind of slogan on it. We can get on our Christian car because it has a bumper sticker on it. We can listen to Christian radio all the way to work. Or we can go to church and we can volunteer for four hours at church and then we can lead five people to Christ that day. And then at the end of the day, we go up and come before God and we go, God, look at me. What do you think? And you know what his response is? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. See, what the Bible is saying compared to a perfect and holy God, when God looks at us, when God looks at us, he, he, we look like Cooper, my grandson, standing there thinking that we're all cleaned up and we just got poop all over us. <laughs> That's literally what it says in Scripture. Now let me drill down on this some more because... Church people need to hear this. You think this is, you know, Easter is about the gospel. And we, let me explain something to you. Church people need to hear this because, as much as anybody else, because for so long, there are people who go to church all the time and think that they're right with God because they do good things. And that's what, but they're not in the kingdom of God, according to Scripture, because righteous acts do not get you to have a relationship with God. So what do we do? What do we do? We constantly try to clean our, clean our mess up. And so we take our, we get, get ourselves and we try to clean our mess up. And, and, and we do good works. We're going, I'm going to do good works and I'll clean up all this mess in my past. And, and we do that. And, and when we do that, it just doesn't work too well. And guess what happens when we try to cover up everything with... Got to get me a towel to clean myself up now. What do we do? Let me explain something to you. When we think that we can do it, what does that look like? Does that look like a mess to you? That's what the Bible says, us simply doing good works but not trusting in Christ us. And what religion usually does, religion is just going through the actions of doing good things. Religion usually does just what does the sin. It just makes a bigger mess. It just makes a bigger mess. That's why there's so many church people going around who are so grumpy. 
There are so many people that go to church and been in church all their life, and they really don't have a relationship with God, but they always are wondering, why am I so miserable? I try harder, I do more, I do more, I do more, and I'm just miserable. Because, you see, the thing is this, you've been depending on yourself to clean yourself up rather than trusting Christ to clean up your mess. The fact is this, you and I cannot clean up our own mess. It's impossible. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, this is what Jesus says. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And sometimes we think, well, that has to do with righteous acts. No, that's not what it has to do with. Because then he explains it. He says, Many to me will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. In other words, did we not do good works? Do good stuff? Try to fix ourselves, And he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. What's that saying? Is that people who are religious but have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're not in Christ, are not in the God's kingdom. Because, once again, going back to the verse we started with, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ, not in church, not in a Bible study, not doing good works. If you're in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. See, the love and forgiveness of Christ is is not something we achieve. It is something that we only can receive. And for many of us, that's a struggle. Because we think we have to earn God's love. And God chooses to love us in spite of who we are, in spite of our mess. And so the last thing we have to do, though, if we're going to respond to what God says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, is that we learn to have to learn to give up. We need to learn to give up. It's kind of like this. You ever met, been in, a, in close proximity to somebody famous? In a room, same room, some whatever. I was on, I've been in several different places. I was uh, actually in the Capitol one time with the guy that was the Speaker of the House. Uh, in the same office, in his office. That was back when I was in college. And you don't even know who the guy is anymore. Um, a few years ago, I was on an airplane. And sitting right over next to me was Evander Holyfield. You know who Evander Holyfield is? Four or five times, I don't know how many times, world heavyweight champ. You know, and he was sitting over there, and it was a van de Holofield. I mean, I'm sitting right here, and he's like two seats up right there. You know, I could see him. And came on the plane late. He's the last person on the plane. The stewardess sat him and said, thank you, Mr. Holyfield. I knew he was Holyfield because he told him to set his name. He sits down. You know, and he looks, and he doesn't really look around. One time he looked over, I kind of went, you know. <laughs> so I had a connection with Evander, you know. You know, that was my big connection. I was in close proximity to him. But the thing is, you know, I could go to Vander Holyfield's house. I think, I'm not really sure where it is now, but he, he, his, his big mansion got sold recently to a rapper. But anyway, um, but the, the thing is, is that I could go to his house, knock on his door and say, hey, hey, I want to speak to Vander Holyfield. And they would look at me and go like, well, do you have an appointment with him? And I would say, no. Do you, um, do you, um, do you know him? Not really. Well, what's the deal? Well, I was in an airplane once with him. You know, probably what they would do is they'd probably, what they would do is they would probably throw me out. You know, these big bodyguards, you know, a boxer has bodyguards. Yeah, he does. Get people like me away from him, you know. And, and, and that would happen. See, only relationship gives me access to him. If I knew him, really knew him, was I was a friend of his, 
and have a relationship, I could be in close proximity, not just close proximity to him, I would have access to him. It's kind of like this. When my kids, my kids were little, this was a long time ago, I remember this. Sometimes in the middle of the night, my kids would wake up and they would be crying. And they'd have, they said, Daddy, Daddy, or Mommy, we had a bad dream. And they'd come into our room. Guess what we would do? Get out of here. No, that's not what we said. You know, we said, no, you'll come in. Because they were having a bad dream. Because they had a relationship with me. On the other hand, if you have a bad dream tonight... And you show up at my house, and someone like get into my house and come into my bedroom and said, I had a bad dream. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my baseball bat that's under my bed, and I'm going to run you out of the house because you do not have access like my kids do. Right? See, my kids have access and in close proximity. It doesn't give you access just to be close to them. That is why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Don't miss this. It says in Christ, not around Christ, not aware of Christ, not I just believe in Christ, not, um, you know, the Bible says even the demons believe in God. They believe, they have this knowledge of, of who God is and who Christ is. It says in Christ. It says that person who's in Christ is a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The old has been paid for, and the new pre- and it gives us new peace, new purpose, all these things in life. I love the fact that today all of us have one thing in common here. All of us, no matter where you are. We have never given Jesus a great reason to love us. Because we've done so many good things. None of us have. When you're going, I'm a pastor, I'm a good person. Well, you know, you're just like my grandson. Need to just paint the picture, you know. Before God, because it says all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You know what the good news is, though? I'm going to wrap up with this in just a moment. The good news is this. In Romans 5, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still, what? Sinners. While we had nothing, while we had nothing to offer him, Christ died for us. Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago for us. His love is not something achieved. It is received. And so if you've been practicing religious works and thinking that was enough and you're frustrated because you feel distant from God and every time you look in the mirror, all you do is you see this mess everywhere, guess what? Jesus knew that. And that's why God sent his son to die upon a cross for you and for me. I could tell you all the events of the cross, but I think most of you know enough about the cross. You've seen the movies. You've maybe seen the Passion of the Christ. If you want to see the most graphic representation of all time. It was horrible what happened upon the cross. And many people can't stomach it. But it was real. It was a, it was a real event. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he died on the cross to pay for our sins because he knew nothing else would take away all the stuff from our past. And he got down on the cross to pay for our sins because he knew he wanted us to have life and have hope and have meaning and purpose. And so when we look at the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, and we see all the things that are messed up, and you and I try to do everything we can to change it, and we can't do anything about it, God has a plan. He had a purpose. And he came upon the cross. And what he did for us is he did something that 
we could not do for himself. He did something for you and for me that we could never do for ourselves. And he destroyed the power of all these things. And no longer do we have to be like that. Let me just go ahead and knock that out there and take that out. There we go. And now, he did something for us that we could not do. He destroyed the power of our past. That's what he's done for you and for me. You can clap. It's all right. Okay, thank you. <laughs> because John 1.12 says this. John 1.12 says this. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in him, his name, and those are the two important words, receive and believe, he gave, not that we, we earned, he gave the right to become children of God. See, let me ask you this question. When did you, this is the important question today, when did you believe and understood that you're a sinner separated from God, that you stand there just like my grandson Cooper? Nasty. I hope that never leaves your mind. <laughs> separated from God and in need of his forgiveness. And you've been trying to earn it, and you're simply finally come to the place in your life where you're saying, like, you know, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about it, so I need to do something. See, I'm not asking you today, did it one time were you confirmed when you were 12 years old? I'm not asking you were you baptized when you were an infant or, it, or it, uh, were you baptized as a child because everybody in your, in your vacation Bible school class was doing it, so you just kind of did it to go along with them. I'm not asking you those things. I'm asking you, when did you realize you were a sinner separated from God, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I want to receive him into my life, and I want to commit the lot to live the rest of my life following him the best that I can. See, that person is the person who is in Christ. That person, according to Scripture, is a new creation. The old is gone. And every time you look in the mirror now, you don't see your junk. You see what Christ has done for you. That's why we celebrate Easter. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.